0: I'm going to pop up here, because I'm kind of short, and I want to be able to see all your faces. You know, something that Quinn said there, and as he was praying to close us out. um, You know, it's like, when a pastor prepares a message, does the pastor work on the message, or does the message work on the pastor? And um, it's uh, kind of a both and. And, and this week it's been, it's been heavy on, on both, but uh, <clears throat> one of the songs that we sang this morning is that, um, that we could just sit, you know, paraphrasing, we could just sit in the presence of God. We could just sit here in this moment and hold on and not move and not be moved and not do anything, um, but uh, he has called us higher. And he has called us deeper, and our response to him is that we will go where you lead us, Lord. So, um, my my hope and prayer, especially my uh, the reality of my life as the message has been working on me this week, is that the place I was, the place I started at the beginning of the week, um, is not the same place that I am at now. And my prayer is that the people that we are when we leave this morning are not the people that we were when we walked in here this morning. That we would not be, you know, content to just sit, sit here in your presence. Right? But, that, but that God has called us higher, that God has called us deeper, and indeed we will go where you lead us, Lord. Amen? Alright, so let's, um, if you have a Bible with you, you can open up to Luke chapter 17. You can grab it on the app. You can get it somewhere else on your phone. Um, There are some Bibles in the seats with you. If you don't have one, and need one? Raise your hand, and we will get one to you ASAP. But when you get one, turn with me to Luke chapter 17, and we've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and in these last couple of uh, next couple of weeks, we're going to be hitting. Chapter a week, and I want to concentrate this morning on Luke 17, starting in verse 11. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Okay, we're good. Let's do this. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance. And they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Uh, where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Uh, pray with me. Lord, uh, this is your word. And some of it, Lord, we receive joyfully and with willingness and with gratitude. And some of it, Lord, we receive very, in a very difficult way. Uh, and it strikes right to the heart of sin in our lives. Father, we trust that your spirit, which works in and through your word in our lives, Lord, would reveal sin in us, that we might come to a place of repentance, Lord, and forgiveness, Through Jesus Christ. Father, show us uh, through this story and through Jesus' life. Father, how each and every one of us are in need of mercy. Whether the brokenness of our lives is worn on the outside or whether the brokenness of our lives is cleverly disguised on the inside, Father. Make each and every one of us aware this morning of our deep need for mercy. Father, we trust you. We trust that you are here. Lord, and we trust that you will not allow us to be different people when we leave than we were when we came. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we have this story here of Jesus who is in the... uh, End of his ministry, essentially. He's on this this path, this long walk, Luke records, to Jerusalem, the place where uh, eventually he will give his life uh, on the cross. And so in the lead-up to the events of the crucifixion and then the resurrection and all the events that happen on that Holy Week as we celebrate it around Easter, we have these instances where Jesus encounters other people, and in this case, he encounters somewhere between Galilee and Samaria, a group of ten men who are not like most men. They have this skin disease called leprosy. Now, Um, if you've heard Bible stories before, or read the Bible at all, or are really familiar with it, or even somewhat familiar with it, you may have heard about leprosy before. And if you haven't heard about leprosy, we're going to talk a little bit about it, because um, it can range in a lot of severities, quite honestly. Uh, Leprosy, uh, in general, was just kind of this broad description of any skin condition. It can be something really severe, or it can be something as mild and non-contagious as, like, eczema. In some cases, it could be very, very obvious to people. I have a couple pictures of people with leprosy. So, these are. Um, this is a modern-day picture of a man with leprosy in South America, um, a skin condition. Not... Horribly deteriorating his body, but absolutely and 100% real and noticeable and very difficult to hide. Now, in its most severe cases, leprosy, if left untreated, will begin to deteriorate the actual, not just the skin, but the flesh. And you can lose parts of your body, particularly things like fingers and toes and ears. And your nose in particular. Uh, and so here's a, here's a picture of a man who uh, has been dealing with leprosy for quite some time and is beginning to lose some of his uh, lower appendages. Suffice it to say, it ain't pretty, it's not glamorous, it's not, um, it's not easily hidden especially in the late and most serious stages. And it was thought, at least in the ancient times, that any form of leprosy, whether it was something as mild as like eczema or something like this, was highly, highly, highly contagious. And so if you were to touch someone with leprosy, you stood in danger of of having it yourself. At the very least, even if you did not contract the disease itself, in Jewish culture, when you, um, as a Jewish person, touched someone with leprosy, or used something that a person with leprosy also used, be it like a bowl, or a dish, or sat in the same chair, or ate dinner with them, had a meal with them, spe- especially if you touched them, like skin-to-skin contact, not only were you in danger of being like medically unclean and medically unsafe, but uh, according to like Jewish culture and Jewish religion, you were now ritually and religiously unclean. Not to... Not to uh, exhaust the discussion here, but um, most of you will be aware that uh, the, the Old Testament contains 613, right? 613 Jewish ritual, ceremonial, cultural, religious commandments and directives for Jewish culture and life. A whole big block of those commandments, a whole big block of those laws were made and put into practice so that people remained ritually clean for the act of sacrifice and worship. So if a person had leprosy, they were considered essentially defiled or unclean. So they were, as we see in most of the Gospels, most of the New Testament, they were essentially ostracized from the rest of the Jewish community, the rest of the believing community, and were not allowed to participate in things like worship in the synagogue, sacrifices at the temple, common and communal meals. They were often asked to live outside of the city so that they did not ritually defile anyone else. Right, So that the main worshiping body or community could remain in kind of like this regular rhythm. And so this is often why Jesus, when he is encountered by lepers, it's not inside the city, right? It's on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus was, was between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into the village, right, on the outskirts of the village is when he was met by these lepers, but here's the thing, um, as serious as leprosy was and continues to be, it was not always a life sentence. People were cured of it, they were healed of it, right? So what happens when you're cured or you're healed of it? Well, in Jewish culture what happens is if, if say, like I had a, a form of leprosy and it was healed or it was cured and I was like, Wow! I'm good, right? Like, I can, go, I can go back into the village. I can go back home. I can go back to my family. I can go back to worship. But there was like this stigma like, I don't know about that. So what a Jewish person would have to do, right, according to the, according to the Jewish law, was that the first person that they would have to go and see upon being healed or cured of leprosy is they would go to the, can you guess? The priest. Right? And the priest would kind of do like the, oh, uh, yeah, like, hmm. Well, I'm kind of doing my inspection here, my medical inspection, and it looks as though you're clean, you're... You're healed. You are, you're, you're well taken care of. Um, I give you my permission or you have approval to enter back into the worshiping and believing community. And this was normal. And this is what, was the way that the Jewish community functioned. So in places um, like here in Luke 17... Earlier in the Gospel of Luke, if you remember, way back when we were in Luke chapter 5, elsewhere in other Gospels, uh, Jesus would heal a person with leprosy and then tell them to go and show themselves to the priest. He did here, right? Go, show yourselves to the priest. It wasn't an attempt, I don't think, to make a really big deal uh, about the healing. You know, I don't think that Jesus wanted to be like, "Hey, go tell the priest, go show the priest that you're healed," and when they see that you're healed, kind of just like rub it in their nose. All right, that Jesus healed you. And Jesus wasn't about that, right? It wasn't about a, "Hey, look at me, uh, look what I'm, look what I've done, look." Look what I'm, I'm doing. It wasn't about drawing. His healing was never about drawing attention specifically to himself. In fact, how many times do we see Luke chapter 5 is an excellent example where Jesus healed the leper, right, and then said what? Don't tell anyone. Just go and show yourself to the priest so you can like, enter back into normal life. But it wasn't even about the priest either. Like it wasn't, it wasn't about this ability for Jesus to show the religious elite or the religious establishment of the day that he had the power to heal. Jesus had nothing to prove. His time would be coming, and, that would, and that's fine for him. He had nothing to prove. Who was the healing all about? It's about the person who was sick, right? His concern was not for the religious leaders of the day to see that he had the power to heal. His concern was not even for his own pride to show everyone else that, hey, you know, I'm Jesus and I have the power to heal. His concern was always for the person that needed and wanted healing. So much so that Jesus was sure not to just heal them from their physical infirmity and then let them go on their way. But, what, but Jesus actually gave them the steps to ensure that after their physical healing, they would have all that was necessary to enter again back into regular and social interaction and fellowship with others. It, was not, it, it would not just mean uh, the freedom from the weight of the, uh, the physical infirmity that they were experiencing, that that would be lifted off them, but in, in many cases it would mean that the person would be able to return, maybe for the first time in years or decades, to their family, to their loved ones, to their home. To their occupation, to the place where they lived, it was restoration of much more than just them as a physical person, but their whole being, their whole reality, their, everything that encompassed their identity, their home, their family, their occupation, the place that they lived, they could return to all of it, and Jesus was concerned about them returning to all of it, so he said, the first thing you're going to do after I heal you is go show the priest." Encompassed all that they could be and would be. Because I think, you know, we need to understand and see and have a very broad and holistic understanding of what Jesus does when he heals a person. The healing of a person, The, the giving of mercy it's not just jesus taking a little bit of holy spirit sandpaper and and knocking off the rough edges of our lives right just just a little bit of spit and polish to make us look a little better and function a little better right to be a nicer person to be a cleaner person to to look as as if we have everything together jesus was in the business, is in the business of complete and utter whole restoration, uh, restoring purpose to your life, restoring, restoring identity to your life. He doesn't want you just clean here. He wants you clean here so that you can be clean here. So, when Jesus heals, Jesus heals down into the very recesses of your life so that you don't just merely change in appearance, but that your whole life becomes redefined by God's mercy. Now, there's a few things that I think are really interesting about this This little section of scripture, only, you know, like seven or eight verses here, but it holds, it holds a lot. Um, We'll look at, I find it really interesting to see how uh, Jesus enters this village. And uh, as he's entering the village, in verse 12, he's going into the village, it says, and ten men who had leprosy met him. So, he has this interaction with uh, 10 men in one group. Now, I I mean, I personally find this interesting because there aren't many, um, at least in the circles that I run in, there aren't many very, not very many social interactions or situations where you just have 10 seemingly random men hanging out together. And so, when Jesus walking into this village happens upon. These ten men. Seems to be a little bit random, but as we know from the story, it's not so random because they all suffered from the very same thing. They were all, in a sense, exactly like one another. And that, that communal brokenness, you can call it, that, that, that infirmity that they all shared, brought them together as they were pushed out to the literal margin of community life. They became their identity, their, their place in life, their even their social and cultural situation became defined by what? Their disease. Right? They're, they were no longer known as Uh, you know, uh, Tom, Dick, and Harry, now it was leper, 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 and separated from a community of people, ostracized and alone, and all they had in the midst of what they were dealing with was those who were suffering alongside of them. The community of those who linked armed and armed and met Jesus as a big group outside of that village and say, ah, we all got the same thing, so I guess that means we can all hang out together. Now, what I find interesting about about this whole kind of idea that a group of people defined not by who God created them to be, but now defined by their brokenness, were pushed to the literal, literal margins of community life. This is not the first time, and not the last time we see this in the Gospel. In fact, um, Luke 18, the very next chapter that we're dealing with, recalls the story of a guy named Bartimaeus. right? who says he was a man born blind, right? He was sitting by the roadside begging, and as Jesus approached, he asked the crowd what was going on. He couldn't see, obviously, right? And they told him, "Uh, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. I heard about this guy, right? And so he called out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. And there's both good examples and bad examples of friends in Scripture, right? Bad example here? As the man, blind, called out for Jesus to have mercy on him as he was passing by, like, good friends would have been like, Pick him up, walk him right to Jesus, right? Lower him down through the roof if you have to. Get him in front of Jesus. Get him healed. But instead, what do these, what do these people do? Shh. Be quiet. Stop. Like, no one wants to hear your blind rambling. Just be silent. They rebuked him. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I love this guy. But he shouted all the more louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 35, if you're interested in that story. Okay, so, so listen. Um, let's be honest, all right? Let's be honest with the orientation of our own hearts this morning. Are we always that much different? Is the church Is the church always that much different from the people that tried to keep the blind man quiet? Is the church always that much different than the group of Jewish elders in this particular village that Jesus was talking about, or that Jesus was coming into, and said, I think it's a good idea if we just make the lepers stay outside the village. I mean, the closer they get, the more in danger we are of losing our ability to remain safe and clean in our ritual life, and serving God, and offering sacrifice, and As a means of self-preservation, let's just keep all of the people who are not like us as far away from us as we possibly can. What I find, I won't speak for you, okay? I will not speak for you. I'll speak for me. And I have... I'm not proud of the fact, right? I'm not, I'm not proud of the fact that, yeah, in, in my life, like kind of a, a default, right, is to stick around people and to, to, to cling to people that are just like me, right? That are safe. They look like me. They talk like me. They act like me. They have families like me. They have backgrounds like me, because in a certain sense, like I understand, right? Like I get you. I know where you're coming from. I understand. I'm not uncomfortable. I'm not like I, I'm not coming face to face with the uh, with a radical brokenness that is different than my own, that I don't know how to address. So I'm just gonna stay with the people that I'm comfortable with, well, uh, you know what happens is in order to stay with the people that you're comfortable with, you have to, by default, separate yourself from the people that are different from you. And you can do that both in subtle ways or you can do it in not-so-subtle ways. And I'm guilty, I've been guilty of doing both. Both the subtle and the not-so-subtle See, because because I am tainted with sin, do an excellent job of putting up these barriers in my life between me and between all the broken people I see around me. All the lepers. All the, the blind men. Well, I don't put walls up around me. I don't like I don't I don't put barriers up. I don't I don't I, I like everyone and I have all kinds of different types of friends and people. I, I get that and I, I, I understand that. But even in the way that we begin to describe the reality of the world that surrounds us shows us that we don't see the world simply as everyone sharing the same brokenness. It's just manifested a little bit different. We describe the world in terms of other people's brokenness and in comparison to ours. When we say, oh, well, you know, that's a really, really poor, violent, drug-filled neighborhood over there. I'm so grateful that I live in a safe, somewhat affluent, uh, not violent at all neighborhood where I can just be, I can be comfortable and I can rest. And I don't have to worry about someone selling crack out of the house next door to me or um or coming face to face with a with a person who has no place to live now we think that maybe we do that out of convenience like well that person just like if i'm describing a neighborhood it's just easy for me to say well the poor section of town or what mm. We describe people in places like that because it helps to support our own belief that in so many ways we are so different and so much further along and so much better because we live in a good neighborhood, a safe neighborhood, where there aren't drug u- users or, or dealers or, or, or broken down homes. Or, and look, understand what I'm saying. What, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying and what I'm not saying here. Okay. What I'm not saying is that you should feel inherently guilty for living in a nice home and a nice neighborhood. I desire to live in a nice home in what is, by my own definition, a nice neighborhood. That's not the issue. The issue is that it's not. The issue is not that it's not okay to live in. A bad neighborhood. What I'm saying is that when Jesus walks by me, like he does for the lepers, and when Jesus walks by you, and when Jesus walks by the proverbial them... The response from all of our lips, no matter what neighborhood we live in or background we come from or affirmity we have, one that's on the outside of our skin or on the inside of our hearts, the response universally with every single person is and always should be Lord, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. See, because the easy thing about life is when we encounter people who wear their brokenness on the outside. It's really, it's not hard. It's not hard to, to, to recognize when uh, the overwhelming burden of affirmity has come down upon a person's life and out of sheer, like, a flood of infirmity. They have no other choice but to wear it all out for everyone to see. And you know what? (laughs) If I'm being honest with myself and I'm being honest with you, I can really respect that. I can respect the fact that when a person's like yeah, like, <laughs> this is just, this ain't working for me, but I don't know what else to do. I don't know where else to go. Don't really have anything. Um, I don't know what to do, but I sure ain't going to fake it and pretend like I do. Like, there's a certain amount of, like, bro, I am so with you. Because it's not um, it's not particularly it's not particularly less righteous to wear your brokenness on the outside than it is to just become really clever about the way that you conceal your brokenness so it stays on the inside. Like that, that that's not a more righteous pursuit. It's not, a more, it's not a more holy thing. Right? To, to run around like a squirrel, right? all frantic-like, making sure the outward pieces of your life are all put together so that when someone looks in, they see, "Ma, yeah, they, they've got to go. they could live in my neighborhood." <laughs> uh, I'd live next door to them, right? Because the reality is, is that if all of all, if all of the like peripheral things of life were stripped away, we would all be defined by our common call to Jesus Christ of Lord, have mercy on me. Because we are all literally like I think this all the time, and my gosh. The grace of Jesus Christ is like amazing because um, I don't know if you know this or not, but you are one bad decision away from all of your brokenness being on the outside. One. That's all it would take is one bad decision. One instance, one time, one occasion, one misstep. And then everyone would be able to see the things you've been hiding, the things you've been concealing, the veil would be removed, and there you would sit as a person who forever and a day said, I'm good. Look at this. I need no mercy here. I'm good. Or, You could sit as a person in humility being like, I told you. Told you this is who I was. I told you this is who I am. I am just so grateful that there is a God who shows mercy. That there is a God who loves. That there is a God who answers when I say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, one, one thing that I find uh, is worth noticing here is what happens after the peop- after the ten lepers um, addressed Jesus the first time. Okay, so in verse thirteen, end of verse twelve, beginning of verse thirteen, they stood at a distance, they called out in a loud voice, Jesus. Master, have pity on us. The word pity here is the same as the word mercy, which is the same as basically like a real general broad usage of the word is, Lord Jesus, help us. Help, help us, please, help us. So really, um, really kind of broad word, the word pity there. When he saw them, he said... What did he do? When he saw them, right? He said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. Now, in previous sections of Scripture, Jesus... When he was about to heal, the leper, took his own hands and placed them on the leprous person and healed him. In this case, it was like Jesus wanted to drive a point home. Right? He, he wanted them to he wanted, something, he wanted a different lesson to be learned in this case. When was it that the lepers were healed? And as they went, they were cleansed. Think about this. Okay, So the process in healing for a Jewish person was, once you were cleansed, once you were clean, once you were healed, you would then go to the priest and say... Look clean, clear, under control, right? Everything's good. So there's a certain amount of confidence in that walk to the priest, right? Like the, the whole, I mean, imagine yourself, like, walking the entire time being like, yeah, going to the priest, right? But, but the meeting with Jesus was pretty anticlimactic, if we're going to be honest, Right? And these guys who have been separated from all of society because they're where their brokenness on the outside, and Jesus says before, he doesn't touch them. Right? He doesn't engage them. Nothing. They call out to him for mercy and Jesus says, you're healed. Go. Go show yourself. Move along. Right? But, The question that I have is, would they have been cleansed if they wouldn't have started walking towards the priests? Yeah, I mean, you have these ten guys here who have lived for who knows how long with this disease, this this sickness, and then Jesus shows up and says, um, go show yourselves to the priest. He doesn't say you're healed. He doesn't say, I have made you well. He doesn't say, your faith is healed do any of the things that you would expect Jesus to say. What Jesus said is begin to walk by faith that the one who says you are healed has healed you and as you go as you make the trek to the place where your healing is confirmed you will be healed. And so often we, we just we, we sit in this seat of like Lord Jesus Heal me. Heal me. Not healed yet. Not healed. Not healed. Not healed. Not healed. Not healed. Infirmity, doubt, lack of confidence. I don't really believe it, Lord. I'm here. I'm asking. Don't know why you're not answering. We're going to talk about that next week, by the way. When we talk about the parable of the persistent widow. But it wasn't until the men began to... Or not even began, it was, they received their destiny before they remembered their physical infirmity. Like, when Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priests, he's, he's proclaiming before it has even happened that they are indeed clean. And, and what the men do is they just step into the reality of what Jesus has proclaimed And as they continue to step towards the reality of what Jesus has proclaimed, the reality of Jesus becomes the reality of the men. And what Jesus has proclaimed over your life is that no harm or evil shall overtake you. That no fear shall separate you. No anger or pain or addiction can break you free from the grasp of Jesus Christ. That the Lord has declared mercy upon your life. That when we reach out and we say, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. That Jesus is not only You know that I don't meet many people who don't believe that God can heal them. But I meet a ton of people who don't believe that God wants to heal them. Who 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 don't believe that 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 Jesus has proclaimed a new reality in their life. That don't believe that that God wants something more for them than than the current brokenness that they are experiencing. From the hopelessness that that which they're living this life, the, the merciless infirmity. The other instance in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus heals a leper is Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 12, and it says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him. This is awesome. This is awesome. All right? Lord, are you there? Luke 5? You with me? Okay. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him, he touched the leper. And what does Jesus say? Not, I am able, right? That's a given at this point. Jesus says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. You know that Jesus is willing to heal you? You know that Jesus is willing to set you free? You know that Jesus is willing to deal with the infirmity that is on the outside? He's not scared of it. He's not afraid of it. It doesn't bother him. It doesn't look any different to him than the infirmity that I hold on the inside of me, right? The brokenness that is so cleverly disguised behind a bunch of barriers, so I make sure that I save face in front of everyone else. Like, Jesus is willing to heal. And Jesus has proclaimed that as we step into the reality of our healed life by faith in him, That we will walk as people who are indeed healed. That we will become healed people. That we will show ourselves to the world as people who are healed. That we will have an opportunity, like the man in Luke chapter 17 has, to come back to to the feet of the Lord and say, Thank you, Jesus. Now, I don't know if your infirmity is something that you wear on the outside, whether your infirmity is something that you harbor on the inside. It makes no difference to me because it makes no difference to him. He wants to heal you of it all the same. He wants to. He is willing. He is able And this is an altar of mercy. And the movement of stepping forward to the altar, of standing up and walking towards the healing that Jesus proclaims over your life, is the first step in saying whether or not my infirmity is on the inside or on the outside. I am allowing Jesus Christ to shed the dead layer of skin, the old dead me off, so that I can walk in, in the cleansing water of new life in Him. That's the invitation of Jesus. Jesus. Broken on the outside, broken on the inside, broken here, broken there. Not compared to anyone else, but compared to who God has created you to be in the likeness and image of his son, Jesus Christ, has offered you an altar, has given to you a Savior where mercy is available no matter the cost, no matter the brokenness. We began praying this morning that we would not leave this place the same people that we were when we came in. Maybe this morning is the morning, right? That you stand before the Lord and shout, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me and whether you feel like you wear your brokenness on the outside or whether your brokenness is all on the inside, we will be here at the altar to pray with you, to walk with you as you receive and accept the mercy that Jesus Christ offers you. Let's pray. Father, the mercy of Jesus Christ proclaimed here in the Gospels, Lord, is available to us. Whether my brokenness is something that I wear on the outside or my brokenness is something that I've hidden for people for as long as I can remember, Lord, I'm sick of carrying it around. I don't want to carry around a bunch of pieces of who I should be, Lord. I only want to walk in the wholeness of who you've created me to be. And so, Lord, I pray... Through your mercy, you would make me whole. That in your mercy you would make us all whole. Lord, and that by your grace we would be men and women of courage. That despite what the crowd around us says, when we call out to you for mercy and they say, Be quiet. Be quiet. We don't want to hear you. That you would that you would give us the grace to cry all the louder, Lord that we will continue to cry and continue to yell and continue to scream for mercy, Father, until we fall at your feet, knowing, Lord, that it's at the feet of Jesus that we find healing. Let us find that place this morning, Lord. Let us find your feet that you might heal us.